You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first recording of 2023 of Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. Thank you once again for tuning in. Joining us today is Ed Musgrove. Ed is a former Army soldier. Ed uh, is a California native. Uh, Not many of us can say that we were born and raised in California, so that's kind of unique these days. But Ed graduated from Poway High in the 80s, joined the Army for a half dozen years. After his Army stint, he worked as a San Diego sheriff for many years. In fact, at one point, Ed was the leader over 4,000 people in the police force. And after his his, uh, 30 years on the force, did some nonprofit work, and Ed uh, got a master's degree in organizational leadership, graduated from the Cal State San Marcos Leadership North County Program. And now he's currently serving as the uh, City Council 4 member in San Marcos. So Ed, good morning. Thanks for joining today. Good morning, David. Thank you for having me. Well, appreciate your service. Appreciate that a little bit of your time um, and be able to talk about some of the leadership lessons that you've learned in, in, in your lifetime, um, some that you learned when you served in the Army and how some of those leadership lessons that helped set you up through your career in law enforcement and beyond. But before we get into some of the uh, specifics of those, uh, I'd like to just know if there was any time in in your uh, life, uh, somebody offered you a bad piece of leadership advice and what that might have been. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, that question. Um, and, and it's something I think we all hear periodically. And initially, I, I thought, well, that's not a bad way to do business until you start, you find yourself in a position where you're a problem solver. And that advice was to not sweat the small stuff. Because my experiences have told me that situations that require addressing because they're a problem, they either manifest themselves instantly or they build up over time. And if you can address those small issues as they come across, it helps to smooth out the wrinkles and identify problems that might affect where you're going, either in your mission or whatever organizational structure you have. But that's kind of the part of living and doing your job. When, when you ignore them and say, ah, don't worry about that, we'll, we'll address it down the road. Well, when you get down that road, that could be a great big pothole. So I don't, I don't nitpick, but I certainly acknowledge that uh, issues that are right, right there in front of you, there's no reason why you can't you know, pick them off as they come around. You know, that that's so true. And I've heard that many times. And I kind of I kind of learned when somebody's telling me not to sweat the small stuff, it's probably a good reason that I'm sweating that that small stuff um, because of those unintended consequences when we don't concern ourselves. Uh, because you're right there that I when I hit those big potholes, I've been able to look back like, man, if I would have taken care of this when I had the opportunity, even when, you know, in the military, we do these um, you know, I don't know if we did them so much in the 80s when you, when you and I were first joined, but these command assessments or command surveys, it's a uh, much bigger thing across corporate America as well as the military now, just to get a, you know, a gauge of what the morale is like with, uh, at, at an organization. But, you know, I used to look at these and, and, you know, along the lines of small stuff, what's that low hanging fruit? What's those things that you could just grab and you can make it an effective change right away. And it's amazing 
uh, how that can boost some morale. So even sweating some of those small stuff, uh, in a sense, it does show as a leader that you care, uh, that, that you're paying attention to the little things. Because what, what what also may be a small sweat, you know, small to us, may be a big issue to somebody else, you know? That's right. And those are, uh, those are great targets of opportunity to offer to either subordinate leaders or those who are not yet in a leadership position to take on a task so they can start establishing their own priorities and how they want to approach issues and, you know, provide you, provide your, uh, make yourself available as that sounding board and that, uh, that point, but uh, not taking over, but ensuring that it remains on track and always knowing that there are often a lot of right ways to do a job and individually we find what's comfortable for us as long as we get where we need to be. Yeah. You, you know, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking down from when we, when we first talked about this podcast and, and, you know, I was thinking back, you know, how, one of the things we talked about is how you create an environment that promotes leadership for, for everyone involved. Um, and I think you just kind of described that, right. And, and, you know, part of our job as leaders is developing future leaders. So, you know, how was there ever, you know, how did you do that? And whether in your military or law enforcement, how did you create that environment that promoted leadership across all the entire organization? Well, you know, you sometimes have uh, people that, uh, that you have a, a duty of care and responsibility that are eager to learn and they want to take on tasks. And sometimes you have what uh, I think some people characterize as the problem child or the disciplinary issue that the 5% that consumes 95% of your time. And I went to, uh, as, a, as a new second level leader, new Lieutenant of the Sheriff's Department, I went to a friend that I trusted and I said, look, I have a problem with this one employee continually causing problems with the team. It's a morale issue and they just seem a little bit out of it. What would you recommend? And the response I got back was totally unexpected, but I will tell you right now, it has worked so well for me time and time again. And that was, don't treat them as a problem, treat them as an opportunity. You may find that what they really want is the opportunity to succeed. So you look at it from two different perspectives. Um, in this particular case, knowing this was a, a well-seasoned deputy, but just felt like they were being edged out by younger people, gave them the assignment to provide really critical training to the rest of the rest of the team. Gave them the milestones, targets, dates, opportunity, release time, reference material, and let them do it. And that particular individual rose to the occasion and became a great peer leader and eventually moved on and promoted. But at the same time, you know, one thing as leaders we, we often fail is when we do have a problem, and sometimes there are problems that we just can't fix that uh, we failed to document. And we learned that in the army, you learned that, you learned that everywhere. I, I've worked in nonprofits, large corporations. Um, we sit there and we tell each other, you know, this guy, this person is really causing me grief. And at some point I'm gonna have to address it. And then we try and dump on them all at once. And when you get to HR, they say, okay, well, show me your, your documentation where you've tracked all this. Well, I don't really have anything, it's just a problem. And so then the problem is now you, because you haven't done your job as a good leader. So you do that also to provide uh, good feedback and opportunities for improvement through, uh, you know, enlisted evaluation reports, uh, employee reports, promotional opportunities. Um, but what I found in one particular case was it just was not working. This employee did not want to have any of it. But by offering all these opportunities, I effectively 
set up the foundation when I did have to go to, to HR and say, this person is just not a good fit here. And they asked for the documentation. I offered it right there and said, okay, you're fine. We'll take care of it. Oh. So, um, it, it, you know, you don't want to look at somebody as, as a target to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. You want to build them up and bring them back on the team and make them a, a valued member again. It's always my goal. You know, that's a lot of wisdom in that. A, a, a friend of mine, <clears throat> you know, in the military, you know, I can remember we, we got evaluated once a year and you hope you didn't get surprised on your evaluation. And then you're like, oh, my God, why didn't right. you tell me that I sucked as bad as you're telling me I do? Right. So then uh, years ago, we went to a semi, we went to every six months counseling. Um, you know, my dad told me, he said, don't wait to be evaluated. You should always talk to your boss and get some checkups uh, just to make sure things are going well. Um, you know, I used to think that if I'm not being told I'm doing bad, then I'm gonna assume I'm doing well, but it's always good to be told that. In my corporate job I have, we get, we get quarterly counseling. But in the military, a friend of mine would say, you know, when you talk about sending people up and not trying, you know, looking at them as opportunities, is, you know, we're either going to pay for them by the time we invest now, while they're serving to make them a better uh, soldier, sailor, airman, coastie, marine, um, space force, a guardian, want to get them all. Uh, or we're going to pay for yes. them when they get to the other side of the blue line, when we never took the time to invest in their personal and professional development, once they get kicked out or processed out for you know, whatever the reason, and if they, they not, they're not a, a productive member of society, we're gonna be paying for them, whether that's through free healthcare or food stamps or something like that. Um, not that, that, that that's a bad thing, but we had an opportunity to maybe prevent that from that individual. And, and even from your nonprofit perspective, you know, for, you know, there are so many nonprofits that help the military community as well as the non-military, but, but nonprofits are out there to help people. Uh, nobody, nobody goes through life wanting to fail. Everybody really wants to succeed. Sometimes they need a little help along the way. And that's where the nonprofit world comes in. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Yeah. Go ahead. And you know, David, it's interesting you brought up nonprofits because quite often you're dealing with volunteers, mm -hmm. uh, right? First of all, you're, you're grateful for their help. You really can't fire them. Um, but you know, there's a, there's a critical aspect that we as leaders, <clears throat> I know you don't, but sometimes we fail to realize is that our perspective is not universal. Their peers may see them as a, as a great guy, a great person, love to have them around. They're the one person that laughs and jokes. And for you, they're just a, a supervisory nightmare. Um, leadership is not operate in a vacuum and you're constantly being watched. So how you address that issue is as important as the ultimate result. And you you're, you think you might be doing something to improve your, uh, your operational readiness, uh, your team morale, and in fact, you've just killed it by, by targeting who is ultimately a popular employee. So that, that all factors in, how, how do I address this situation? without uh, destroying what unit cohesive I have, cohesiveness I have now. Uh, it's so true. You know, one thing I, I appreciated about the military is, you know, w w because you can't fire somebody, it's not very easy to fire somebody. You got to learn to work, work with those opportunities. And, That's right. and, I, and I, I tended to, through my career, look at, look at those, you know, even if it's the 20% that no matter what decisions are made, they will not agree with it. They will buck against the system. They're some of the worst nightmares, but you know, there, I was always, for the most part, able to find some value because sometimes those naysayers, 
you need those naysayers at some time. I need those people to, to, it's almost like, okay, I'm not trying to lead to them, but they are, they see things differently and they probably see some areas, some low hanging fruit, um, that I did not think about, uh, that in, and just by listening to those, they still may not agree and they still may buck it, but at least they like, okay, well, at least you took my opinion on that one. Well, you could have done it like this, right? They always going to get the last word in. But yeah, you know, in the List Leadership Foundation, we're a pass-through nonprofit. So everybody, board members and alike are all volunteers. So you're right. You know, we uh, we couldn't do what we do without the volunteers of our uh, both retired and active duty people. Um, so yeah, it's a, it is a unique world as a nonprofit. Everyone has a different tempo, don't they? It does, yeah. I'm sorry to talk to everybody. Everyone has a different tempo, yeah. Yes, but, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, what aspects of um, uh, of your life have led you to where you are today from, you know, military to police force to now a politician? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I've always had a great sense of community, uh, whether it was, a, you know, as a squad leader working with my uh, my platoon company um, and, and your community is your environment. It can be your, your co-workers. It can be the city where you live. Um, I, you know, the, the army taught me a lot. It taught me more than I realized. And it wasn't really until I got out of the army that you, you start reflecting back on the things that you've learned to, and how to deal with situations where, as you said a few minutes ago, you can't fire somebody. You can't make this person go away. They're there. And whether you're the, the team leader, squad leader, platoon leader, that person is going to be there. And it's not for us to judge them. It's for us to look at them and say, okay, this is a member of my team. How best to make this work? So moving forward after there and going on to, you know, the sheriff's department and spending years there working, working my way up to captain and, and running the personnel department, which, you know, we have 4,000 employees and you're dealing with uh, promotions, transfers, hiring, recruiting, uh, working with training, just so much going on. And then moving on to nonprofit work. And I worked for a public transit agency for a couple of years in San Diego. And now with, uh, you know, volunteering with my city, different commissions, committees, and now on the city council, ultimately realizing that uh, you don't do it for the pat on the back. You don't do it for the, the personal reward, unless your reward is knowing that every day when you came home, you did something good for at least one person. And, uh, and that really, that really, that point really drove home, I think, when I was a sheriff's captain, when I would come to work and you know, you're removed enough from law enforcement that you're not out. I mean, once in a while I get out in the car and have a little fun, but every day, if I could say either an employee, a member of the community, another agency, it didn't matter who it was. If I could affect somebody positively, at least one person every day, to me, that was a win. And that was, that was my sense of reward. And just yesterday we had an incident here in town. And so my phone was blowing up by people that live in my specific area. Hey, Ed, what's going on with this? What do you know? And sometimes you know things that you really can't share because you're, you're privileged to have some information and you know what eventually will come out. So you have to kind of figure out how you're going to do that. But uh, that whole sense of being in a position of responsibility and trust, I think, is the big thing. And that develops over time. So for me, it was always a question of what can I do to offer back? to my community, define community as you like, in the trust they've given me and the opportunities they've given me, how do I return that? Mm -hmm. And that's why I enjoy doing it. You know, so when you say you want to do something, you know, 
one good thing for somebody a day or, you know, positively impact a person. Did you find the higher you went up the leadership ladder, um, the more difficult that became? Uh, and, and I'll just say, as a, in my position as a command master chief in the Navy, I kind of, it almost felt like 95% of what I had to do was negative. And it, it became difficult. I, I had to make a concerted effort to look for those opportunities um, because it, it, it seemed like they came more naturally early in my career, but the higher up I went. Did, it, did you experience anything like that, especially in the law enforcement? You know, I did. Uh, when, when you're, uh, you know, if you're, uh, in your case, uh, Command Master Chief, where you've got multiple layers of leadership below you, mm -hmm. you, you can't, you can't push them aside specifically to direct, even if it's a positive, to a subordinate without involving them. Because now you've effectively told everyone in that command, you don't really need this guy because I'm here. So it's always looking within the team. So if you have a, a second level leader who has a problem or has an issue with an employee, you, you need to work at all levels, working your way down and getting everybody on the same sheet of music, whether it's a positive or negative, it's just a, an operational. It does become a little more difficult, but Again, the, the reward is at the end of the day, when, when there's a positive outcome out of it, then that's fantastic. That's what you look for. And if you can, uh, if you can give that subordinate leader, let's say, the feeling that their input was valued. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I had a situation once where uh, I offered some advice to one and initially they poo-pooed it. They tried something, it didn't work. They went back to my advice and it was a rousing success. They got accolades. I wrote them up for the award and it didn't matter that it was my recommendation and the way I thought it could go. It only mattered that that person embraced it and said, you know what, this will work. And so it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. There, there can be a lot of right ways to do it. it it's whatever's comfortable for that individual leader. So it, it did get more difficult uh, as, as I moved up. Um, it's a minefield. You really have to be careful. That's a good, yeah, that's a good. Um, you can step on toes the wrong way. And sometimes you don't know where those toes are attached. Mm -hmm. Who knows who? Yeah, you know, John Maxwell, who, who I follow a lot of his stuff and my certificate behind him. Um, you know, he uh, he says, a leader, there's no two good days in a row, you know, for a, for a leader. And it's kind of true. I, even my kids, they'll come back from work and say, oh, it was a horrible day. And it was a horrible day because one person for five minutes um, made a negative impact on them. And, and I had to learn that, you know, I don't have necessarily have horrible days. There may be moments of my day that are bad, but that doesn't have to define the entire day. And, you know, when I was having those horrible days uh, in the military, I, I could just walk down to the mess decks or just walk around and see what the sailors are doing, see all the goodness that's taking place. And, you know, in, in, in a position of leadership, when you show a little attention, what, what's a little to me, a few minutes of my time, which oftentimes selfishly is to just give me a break, is so impacting for them. The fact that their leader, their supervisor, whoever that may be, would come and spend time to learn what they're doing, to give them a pat on the back, to show interest. Boy, that's huge. It, it, and I'll tell you, that would fire me up, to be honest with you, um, and set me up for success the rest of the day. That's right. So, um, 
you know, I want to ask, you know, we're running, we're running close on time, but, you know, was there ever, a, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about creating environments of success and, you know, encouraging others and, and, and giving, you know, multiple ways to accomplish the same task. Um, what about critical situations? Was there ever a, a, a time when you had to be a leader in a critical situation when, you know, you couldn't really, hey, listen, guys, it's, it, this is how we're doing it. And we don't have to, you know, and that's very, I won't say very, that's horrible language, but that's somewhat more common in the military than in the civilian workforce. Even though 90% of what we do is a training environment, there is that 10% of time that it's a vital situation. So is there ever been a, a situation where you find yourself in a difficult uh, instance where you had to be a leader in that? Um, I can talk about an incident that uh, we discussed previously when I was a patrol supervisor, I was a team sergeant, and it was uh, the sergeant's schedules overlapped the, the deputy schedules just for the sake of uh, continuity and ensuring that nothing was lost in the interim. And uh, some of my deputies responded to a call out in uh, a rural part of our community where it wasn't uncommon to have somebody out target practicing. <clears throat> and the, the call came out as uh, you know, somebody shooting. And as the call developed, it turns out uh, we had a person on a rooftop and he was shooting in his neighborhood. So uh, the deputies were on, on their way. And, I, and because it was in between their shift, I knew that we were a little bit short of bodies. So I started heading up there. And uh, as I came on the scene, we now had uh, we had deputies that were there ready to go. And so I sent a, a scout team out because this area, this is back in the days of Thomas Brothers maps where you didn't have satellite imagery, but you had a map to, 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 to kind of orient a little bit. So we sent them up to a point where we knew that uh, generally where this location was, and this person had, was on the roof of a house and he had the high ground, literally on top of a hill. So the deputies, uh, they dismounted and were walking up to a point where they thought they could see where the house was, and they started taking long rifle, long gun fire. So they, uh, they jumped down behind a berm, they put out the call, and I still had two other deputies with me we knew that we could get to a point where their cars were relatively safely so we did that and i had uh, three deputies with me one of whom was uh, a former army a soldier in fact we had spent time in germany not knowing at, at that point but we had spent time in germany together and we had a former marine and a former sailor so we set up a skirmish line and we started uh, doing uh, kind of a little bit of a bounding overwatch going up our way up the hill as my deputies that were pinned down were trying to return fire. So we got up to a point where we could see where this person was and he was hiding behind the chimney on the house. It was very difficult to get to him with uh, with the return fire. And the deputies returning fire had um, an AR-15. So it wasn't that he wasn't trying, just couldn't do it. So ultimately we got up there and realizing that I was in uh, the best position possible, called him out and um, he looked at me, raised his rifle, and we returned fire. And that ended the situation. But what's uh, what's interesting is there was a lot of radio communication, a lot of chatter that was going on. And that common situation uh, for our, our listeners who have been in combat, realizing that it gets really confusing when everybody wants to talk at once, everybody wants to get in there. Uh, people yelling at each other to get off the radio. We need to hear what's going on. And uh, my, my lieutenant, who was my boss at the time, yelling at us to, to hold our position, but knowing full well that the, our helicopter was not going to get any closer than two miles out because we had a rooftop sniper. They want to take fire. 
and knowing that my my troops were under fire and the community was at danger um well i wasn't going to wait so we just went ahead and essentially took the hill and, and ended the problem um and it was kind of interesting because later on i was i was asked well why didn't you listen to what was going on there i said because i had an immediate threat i wasn't going to sit back because we had been training to address that threat from the school shootings that was going on going on in the, you know the early 2000s that um we're not waiting around while people are in danger. Uh, you know, you, we talked about the 595. It's that 95% of the time where you're driving around being officer friendly. Well, this is the 5% where you're going to earn your, your keep. So you are you are going to go up that hill and you are going to address the threat. Um, and it was interesting, David, this was uh, years after I'd left the army, but my, uh, my best friend in the academy and, uh, and another patrol sergeant who was on the same frequency, I talked to him later on. He said, you know, I could hear you on the radio and all I heard was a soldier wow. on the radio directing people to, you know, cover in place, move here, maneuver there, calling out, you know, visuals, what you could see. So, you know, with extensive hundreds at that point, probably thousands of hours of law enforcement training, it was the military training that kicked in. Isn't that interesting? All that, it's, wow. uh, yeah. yeah, not realizing it until he mentioned that to me. And I, you know, you know, upon reflection, realizing, yeah, that's, that's where you go. Yeah. This is what works. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, last, last question before we close. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I get asked this from time to time, but what makes a good leader in your opinion, in your experience? Well, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily believe that leaders are created or they're, they're developed with any special tools. I think it's a, it's a over a period of time, what experiences you have things you see, your environment, but it, it is really a matter of circumstance that reveals a leader. And we've seen it before where you might have a, a ranking officer and as a command master chief, you know this, you have a new ensign or a JG and there's a critical situation. They feel that obligation to do something, but it may be the first class who has the best knowledge. So it really does depend on who was the best person in that particular situation. And that is developed through life's experience, work experience, critical decision-making, not sweating the small stuff, allowing those people when you can manage a situation, allowing them to address it and get that feel for what it's like to make a decision and see the end result. And, and knowing when the decision I made probably could do it a little bit better. If, if we have the opportunity, let's stop for a group and move in a different direction and you have to support that without negative commentary maybe a hot wash after hey tell me what happened here tell me and when you ask that question why don't ask why like it's accusatory mm -hmm. say i need you to educate me what was going through your thought process so i can understand and i, I think people appreciate that yeah, and i to me that's how good leaders come to be through that process and then the circumstance of the moment yeah you're right we, we're growing into it and you know the, the the really good ones recognize uh just because i'm in the position doesn't mean that i'm the expert I, I used to tell my firemen airmen and uh engine men you know the e3s of the world listen my ship will get underway without the command master chief but we can't do anything without you you guys hold the most critical that's job. right you're you're the one you know driving the ship tying the ship up <laughs> giving the, the the fuel that i mean you're you launching the aircraft everything's being done at those junior folk we can't we can't do what we need to do without the the most junior 
not the people in the military. So it's incumbent upon us as leaders to pay attention and recognize that, listen, they got the expertise, I don't. I'm in a position to advocate, That's right. to support, give them the tools that they need so that they can do their job. Well, um, they, they do the heavy lifting. You're just a pretty face. Exactly. Right. Well, Ed, <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking the time this morning to, to be here with us. Um, you know, before we go, uh, I'm sure that there's, there's times that you've made a bad decision in your career. Um, but, you know, was there one in particular that, man, I, I dodged that bullet. Uh, you know, mental note, don't let that happen again. Uh, but you wish you wouldn't have done it in the first place. Uh, you, you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm going to reflect back when I was in the service, and I'll, I'll try to be brief. We had a, a really unfortunate situation. I was working at a remote site, and we had a soldier that passed away on our site. And ultimately, we believe it, uh, it resulted from an infection that was developed during a, a field exercise with another unit. But our commander at the time was concerned that maybe there was something that was contagious. So he, he sent the word up, and I was, of course, I was a military policeman, and we were responsible for the site security. He ordered us to take all the bedding, all the linen, all the clothing, and take it out and back and burn it to ensure nobody else would get infected. And I felt that was the wrong decision because all my training at that point told me there could be critical evidence here. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, and I could have gone to the first sergeant and said something, I didn't. We went ahead and followed that instruction. Um, I regretted it. Uh, the commander regretted it when Ultimately, we found out that her father was uh, a division sergeant major and worked directly for a two-star. And when he came down there and put some oversight onto the command investigation, there was there was a price to pay. Um, I felt badly afterward that uh, I, I could have spoken up. I could have said something to the CO, and I didn't. Not that it might have changed anything, but always regretting that I didn't offer my input. Whether it's accepted or not, as you said before, is one thing you should feel free to at least say, I have a perspective on this and this is what I'm thinking. And if you get shot down, fantastic, you move on. Did that ever- And I still think, but this goes, honestly, this goes back to 1983. This is a long time ago, time ago and right. I still think about it. Yeah, but so let me ask you this real quick then. Um, did that change how you allowed or welcomed input as you worked up the chain of command yourself? Absolutely, Yeah. absolutely. Um, a few minutes ago, and I'll, I will be brief, a few minutes ago, you were talking about this, about uh, essentially when you surround yourself with people that are always going to tell you what a great guy you are. Yeah. When somebody tells you something, and, and it may be somewhat antagonistic, if they're going to give you the no or, or something that you may not appreciate it, again, my whole thing about why is there's a reason why they're saying that. You may think it's all roses and unicorns, but if they're seeing it differently, you need to know that because Everybody has a perspective and, you, and you're not an effective leader day to day unless you understand that there are different perspectives and you may see the big picture, but they don't. They only know what they're seeing here. And again, you're not working in a vacuum. You need to get all that input as much as you possibly can. It may not sway your decision, but you'll know what your decision, what impacts it will have on everybody. And those people have, feel valued if they have that sense of ownership mm -hmm. and input. Yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, once again, you've been listening to a conversation today with Ed Musgrove. Uh, Ed's a former soldier back in the 80s, sheriff for 30 years, nonprofit, now city council in North County, San Diego. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. This has been the Lead On podcast, Lessons from Military Leaders. Ed, 
Thanks again for joining us. Any, any parting words? Master Chief, I went to, to your website after we spoke initially and extremely impressed with the, the cadre you have there that are working extremely hard to improve the, the leadership opportunities for our enlisted personnel. I, I think it's something that um, the military does a great job, but we can always do better. That 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 is, as we said before, those are the people doing the heavy lifting and, and a more professional organization is always a better thing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, tune in next time for the next uh, edition of Lead On Lessons for Military Leaders. You can catch us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else that you uh, listen and download podcasts. Have a great day. Produced by Podcast Architects.